0: Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton.
1: And we're back with the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. This is episode 151. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray another week in quarantine ready to get into some news there's been a lot of interesting developments over over the last week uh, looking forward to our guest again today and uh yeah there's uh, several things i'm i'm eager to jump into today Ryan.
0: yeah a couple of things we need to kind of do a couple uh little shout outs here first off stephanie the intern um, is down with uh coronavirus and so uh just wanted to pass that along. She still though showed up for work, which is more than safe for about Josh. Uh, you know, he gets the sniffles, he's out. But Stephanie then turned uh fighting through coronavirus uh, and showed up and, and and turned into work. So Stephanie will be uh, thoughts and prayers with you and hope you get a quick and speedy recovery. And also a longtime prophet of doom speaker, believed last week, Josh, he sent me a text and said that he thinks that he might have the coronavirus and I have not heard from him since. So uh, Spietner, hope you're out there wishing you a quick and fast recovery as well. Um, and so, yeah, those are, this just one to give that shout out hope everyone had a great Easter holiday. Um, yeah, man, you know, I, I, I we all have stories and, I, and I, yesterday, Josh and I, we, our families were hanging out. I got a, I got a, I got a story I thought about, uh, <laughs> that's going to tie into these first two, these first two articles we're going to get into. So, huh.
1: So uh, the first one we have today is a company called Oventive, uh, formerly known as Encana. Uh, they are rallying against Texas production cuts. So the Railroad Commission is talking about uh, possibly enforcing um, a production cut of twenty percent beginning May first. Um, Oventive, it's hard not to call them uh, in Canada, are Ghana, right? uh, they're, yeah. they're rallying <laughs> against uh, that and saying that they, that they believe that Texas should remain a free market state. And they didn't like the idea of the RRC coming in and regulating like that. So um, I have to sympathize with Oventive here. I think, uh, I, think I understand what the RRC is trying to do, and I think it, it could even be helpful in the short term. But, uh, I don't know that that's the direction that I think we need to go so um uh, it's an interesting article. We talked a little bit about it, and there are companies out there that are that are definitely um seeing things uh from the same perspective you know that they're not sure that that they want Texas to no longer be a free market state. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and this also ties in. Let's go ahead and uh, talk about our next article, which is uh, from Texoga. They're basically saying that hey, that they want they're kind of pushing back on um, on Sheffield with Pioneer, who, who was you know, whining a few weeks ago about um, you know, all this stuff, and uh, wants the Railroad Commission to step in. And you know, the, so you kind of have these two articles where um, Texoga saying, hey, well, some of our members they're not this isn't their position, this is our position, um, but they disagree with what what Sheffield's saying, and they're they're kind of on the side of this this Oventive is and Kind of we we talked on the show, and you know Josh. So yesterday, the story that ties into this, we uh we're at the house, and so between Josh and I, we've got nine kids. I got four, he got five. Water balloon water balloon fighters. We only had uh what uh six water balloon fighters. Drew, Ellicate, Scarlet. Uh,
1: well, I
0: guess Nora and uh, yeah two more. Yeah. So, yeah yeah, yeah. Six. six six of them were able able enough to do water balloons. So we go out there and we get the water balloons. And we kind of let them go. There's there's a, there's a few rules, just very basic rules. Just kind of go over here, don't over here. Okay, you know, boys got to throw at the boys, can't get the girls. And it's about five minutes in, we see see that that, that doesn't work. So, we, so I go ahead and move the ice chest further away, which is full of water balloons, hoping that they will uh, not throw them towards us. And you we know, kind of follow the rules. And another five minutes goes by and you can say, okay, this this isn't working. So I go out there and and I go out there to play with the kids as well, just to kind of make sure this goes smoothly and have a little fun myself. Well. What happened through this process was is is that the rules were that you can only have two water balloons, a water balloon in each hand, and uh, the boys throw at the boys, and the girls can throw it whoever they want to. So the r- girls get the boys, and there's some spacing distances, kind of kind of like the drilling programs here in Texas, right? And what happened, Josh, was as you saw, is that as I went out there, the kids, after a few minutes of me pounding them with water balloons, they all went and huddled around the ice chest and cut me off. They cut off my access to the ice chest. Um, now. I never in a million years would have thought kids under the 12 and under would have figured out how to cut off my supply, but they did. <laughs> so the more we tried to intervene yesterday, the more that they responded uh, in, in ways that we didn't want them to respond. And they, were, they weren't they We're being bad. We're not, they're just having fun. It's it just funny. We thought, well, we'll give them these rules. I'll do this. No. Okay. We're we're going to move the ice chest. and That's going to help me. No. Okay. Well, I'm going to go out there and kind of play with them. And that's going to kind of get things to go, go the way. Just kind of keep everything, you know, you know kids, you don't want them out there killing each other and and that didn't work. And now again they weren't being bad. There was no, you know, no one getting spanked. nothing like that. But it was just funny to kind of watch this play out because every time we tried to uh kind of manipulate the situation to kind of get the go we want to, it didn't. And that's the point here. That's the point here is that as we talk about, well let's get the um no, no let's get the the railroad commission to do this or Trump to do to do that. It's the law of unintended consequences. That's the principle. That's simply the principle at stake here. Is that when Sheffield wants the railroad commission, he has a vision for how it's gonna play out. And trust me, it's putting a lot of money in his pocket and not promising any for yours. So just keep that in mind. Um But the reality is, unless Sheffield is, you know, in in league with the uh the railroad commissioners, um, how you know there's no guarantee this gonna play out the way he wants it to, just like with the water balloon analogy. And so the water balloon analogy is a very simple analogy where I would be the government force trying to uh steer the things to go a certain way and it didn't. The boys still occasionally with the girls. The spacing requirements were broken. Um, The tube, the tube balloon policy was broken. No matter how I tried to navigate it, now we weren't threatening gunpoint in jail. (laughs) We're just having fun. But we watched it play out and we sat down and talked about it afterwards. It was just funny, wasn't it? Because no matter how we tried to manipulate it and it it never worked out the way that we thought it would. What do we think is going to happen here? Do we think that Sheffield is some genius and he's going to, um, and the rubber commissions, or, I mean, uh, listen, Ryan Sitton's welcome on the show would be nice to him what we are all of our guests, but I've seen Ryan Sitton's Excel demand charts. They're not the work of a scholar. Let's put it like that. Yeah. <laughs> they think that these people, <laughs> they think that these people have some kind of intrinsic insight. Um, no, it's, it's a lot more complicated. And that's what these people are saying. That's what we're saying. It sucks bad, but there's, it's not a simple way to fix this. And the final thing I'll say, we have a not coming on. Uh, have you seen oil prices this morning, Josh?
1: Uh, when I saw them, they were up a dollar fifty. Let's see here. Uh,
0: so they're up twenty seven cents right now at twenty three oh they three, and we announced huge cuts yesterday. Not, not nearly enough. So why? Because the demand's Demand not gone. there. So we're, yeah. We're, yeah, the demand's gone. So um, that—that's government forces trying to intervene, trying to steer the market. Uh, the Dow, I believe, opened down this morning after it was up last week. It's, it's, you know, I'm working, I'm going to pound this, this drum until I die, I suppose, but they can't fix it, unfortunately. If I thought they could, I would say, let let them fix it, but they can't. And so I think that's what you're seeing here. And it's good to hear because you're seeing a lot of folks coming out talking about regulation. And um, the argument isn't that Josh and Ryan think that we can solve these problems. The argument is that no one can solve these problems. The market has to work itself out. And that's the only viable way. When you start changing that. It's like yesterday, all of a sudden, all the kids start hurting up. You're like, Oh, well, I didn't know that I didn't think about this regulation having that impact. And now here we go. So, uh, water balloon analogy. What do you think?
1: I think that, that kind of good. would be a uh, <laughs> it's good, yeah. I'm, I remember seeing big government going there yesterday, wondering how this is going to work out. <laughs> <I'll> <laughs> team it up on you. <laughs> so, um, speaking of, you so this is dropping old demand, which is, uh, from my perspective, definitely unprecedented, uh, is creating some uh, some issues over in the Middle East. So, a huge terminal over in Fujairah in the United Arab uh, area, they are they have a port that holds 14 million barrels, and uh, and it's full. Uh, it's, it's one of the major ports, and so the the oil is starting to back up. And now they're realizing there's an infrastructure issue to be able to store uh, this oil. They're they're not prepared to have this much in storage, so it's, it's we're 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 about to see. Um, and I don't know if this is something you should invest in on a long term uh, basis because will we see this level of storage again in the next thirty years? So um, it's some interesting questions.
0: Yeah, that, that's that is an interesting point because I, I have wondered uh, on Eleanor, um, Ellen's, uh, in my show Energy Week a couple times. You know, if you go look at kind of the APIs charts and you know how they do their demand and their five year averages, I, I've wondered and I've asked Doctor Foreman this as well. You know, should we reconsider how we evaluate the oil market moving forward? So can, you kind of have the pre shell market where everything, the storage levels, the volumes, and you get the post shell um, level. Should we, you know, kind of rethink about how we determine how much oil do we need, you know, cause we can get it a little quicker now. Um, you know, we can get it different spots now. So someone's just changed. I, I wondered that as well. And what you're essentially saying is, well, maybe it's maybe now is the time to invest in more oil, uh, cause, cause really the, the thing about this, the reason the price is low is because the supply is full. The reason the supply is full is because historically we have deemed that this is the right amount of supply. Right. So theoretically we could increase supply 25% and go, that's the right amount of supply. And that would actually help the price because you go, Oh, well, we're 25% further off from filling the supply that we are now. So the reason that the supply levels are what they are is because the world has kind of deemed that that's the way to do it. I don't know. Um, you know, those numbers, uh, and I want to say gosh, if a listener has this, uh, you know, readily available. I want to say it's only like 30 or 60 days of global supply is what we normally keep in storage. I don't want I remember. I don't think it's that much, not counting the SPR and stuff like that. But um, but anyways, so yeah, I, I wondered that Josh, if, if we should sit back and go, you know, now I'm not an oil storage expert. I've heard there's problems with storage long term, but you know, someone else can help us out on that. But anyways, I, I wondered, should we increase the global storage before this happened? Um, or, or rethink that? Because, you know, if you cut the storage in half tomorrow, if you just cut it in half tomorrow, obviously we could see the price would go, um, you know, that have an impact on the price, but should we double the storage and go, you know, really, there's no reason we shouldn't store twice as much of it. So that's kind of a, I won't say an arbitrary thing because it's not arbitrary. Uh, But I I wonder if the market globally, you know, should kind of sit back and go, okay, you know, we we can get so much oil, so much quicker now, let's store it up so we can have, uh, we can have it there. Uh, We can have it um, readily available when we need it compared to maybe, you know, having a little bit tighter supply line. But again, I'm not a I'm not an old storage expert, but I have wondered that as well, because what you're saying is, Hey, you know, go, go build some storage terminals now, but well, you know, Do we in three years, you might, <laughs> you might never get to use them again.
1: Well, so it says down here at the bottom that they're next year, uh, they're adding uh, it's two projects they're working on. It's going to be 62 million barrels of storage, mm-hmm. which if you really look at that, that's really not a lot you know mm-hmm. in, the, in the scope of what we're producing per day yeah.
0: well yeah we're cutting you gotta think about it, we're cutting globally 10 million barrels a day or whatever it is 9.7 million barrels a
1: day right now so yeah and the that's, demand's supposed to fall. this article we're gonna get to in a little bit where they're projecting million, yeah uh, as supposed
0: yeah. to yeah so I'm saying, if, 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 if we're cutting 10 million barrels a day to make the math easy that'd be six days worth of production yeah that we're cutting i have the total production that we're cutting so yeah. yeah 60 million barrels is not a it's uh, it's 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 a lot, obviously, but it's not a lot globally.
1: All right, next article: uh, U.S. natural gas output expected to fall by most ever next year. So, uh, you know, natural gas has been something that we've—I I mean, I, we've expected to stay pretty stable, um, but they're expecting the output to fall by more than ever next year, which makes sense. Um, oil rigs in the Permian are are decreasing pretty rapidly. So you would expect uh, the production of gas that was a byproduct of that to to bring about a decrease in production. What I'm wondering about on the natural gas side is going to be the demand. What's the demand going to do next year? Is there going to be a potential shortage? How long will that shortage last? Can they uh, get get the gas back online pretty quickly? So that's going to be something to watch. Um, natural gas prices going into next year. Um, it, it could could see some price increases next year if uh production levels goes go down as much as this article is predicting
0: yeah yeah it's you know which the thing is with the with the permian production going down you're having you know huge volumes of natural gas production coming off the market that's one of the things that we talked about and Nas talked about on his uh he he been on twice now mm-hmm. or twice now right i guess this is his first time on uh, he talked about that um so so yeah so i, I this Okay, this is a great deal for government regulation and kind of that policy. If you're a producer and you're sitting there going, you know what, I really think that uh, oil production is going to go down, which means natural gas production is going to go down as a result. Uh, And I'm just just making up all kinds of numbers here. But I think, you know, the price of natural gas is going to go up. Where's it at right now? Is it uh, $1.80? $1.80? Let's see here. Natural gas at 173. Okay, so I think natural gas can go up to 242. Okay, I'm gonna just again just making up random numbers here, and we can make money at 242. Uh, we think actually it'll probably peak at three, and so we're gonna we're gonna plan to in the first quarter of 2021 drill so many wells in the Hainesville or, or the Barnett, you know, wherever really really dry place. We're gonna get a lot of dry wells, uh, and we're gonna go drill them. Okay. And you're basing that on the fact that you're looking at some of these Permian producers, you're like, they're not going to be drilling. They're going to be going out of business. This is my opportunity. Okay. Well, if the Railroad Commission comes in and changes the way it works and, um, you know, and, and, and you know, prorates the soil and, does, and, and starts messing with the market, that company who's going to drill in the Haynesville might get kind of squeezed because all of a sudden that natural gas production that they were anticipating going off because companies couldn't afford to drill, if the Railroad Commission artificially inflates the price by uh, or, or impact uh, influences what the price is done by um, you know, uh, w- working through these issues, then that company might get squeezed out. And so that would be an easy way to think about it. Well, here's a company in the Haynesville who's going to make money because they think that the price in natural gas is going up. They're betting a lot of money on this. Um, and then the Railroad Commission comes in or an outside force, a government force comes in and uh, does something to manipulate the price where they couldn't, they could not uh, they can't. They can't control that. It's not supply demand issue, and it puts the squeeze on them. Um, so if the railroad commission stays out, you might see plays like that though that that come in where folks are going. Okay, I think natural gas is going to go up a certain amount. We can make money at this price, uh, and, and we're going to we're going to take a little gamble here and, and go after some natural gas plays. I'm not saying you know I don't know maybe maybe it won't happen. But but those are the types of things right now that people are looking at. How do you make money in a low price environment? Uh, well, if there's that much natural gas coming off, you might see some folks go. I mean, I'm sorry, yeah, that much natural gas coming off as a result of lower oil prices, uh, you might in lower oil production, you might see some folks go back to natural gas plays. Um, on the flip side, as the natural gas price goes back up, it helps those Permian wells because they're more profitable, right? So if the if the oil if, if the natural gas was you know twelve dollars or something crazy right now, we probably wouldn't see much of a drop, if any, out there in the Permian you might see increased drilling. Yep. You know, i don't i don't know i don't know how the how the numbers work out at that level but but you can see if if, if natural gas price shopped to seven, you might not even see it so um so yeah that's that's kind of how I think about it is that uh as we kind of go back and forth, you can see um, a lot of things a lot a lot of things playing out but it's it's too early to tell what's going to happen
1: and speaking of the gas the so, um asian l n g market was one of asian l market was one of the one of the big um Big markets that we've been talking about for some time now, and uh, so there's a, a article some good news silver lining for Asian LNG market after oil price crash so uh, lower long term LNG prices could encourage coal to gas switching in the northeast Asia area while Chinese LNG demand is also expected to expand this year, although at a, a slower rate than what we were thinking earlier uh, you know end of last year so what what they're thinking is is these prices may actually encourage uh more aggressive transitions from coal to gas which could help the long-term lng market so that's something to look forward to hope yeah well let's 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 ask our guest who's uh
0: just hopping on, on the bat line here with us uh dr anas Alihaji. dr anas can you can you hear us
1: I, I can hear you yes we have a special guest joining us again dr anas Alhaji. uh Really appreciate you coming back on the show. We've had you on a couple times, Dr. Nas, and uh, your insights have been really, really great. Um, so we've, we've been looking forward to, to talk with you about some of the you know, recent news with uh, Russia and the Saudis, OPEC deal that's been discussed, Mexico. So really, really great, glad to have you back on the show today.
2: Thank you. And don't forget the Texas Rural Road Commission. They are going to meet. Uh, They're going to have that hearing tomorrow.
0: Yeah, we were just talking about, not the meeting, but we were talking about um, a lot of the controversy right now. There's there's folks that are kind of mounting up on all sides of the equation, what they should and shouldn't do. Now, our position on this podcast is pretty clear. We are free market folks, and so we think that the free market should figure itself out. Um, but I haven't heard you weigh on this particularly, so.
2: Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll,
0: I'll be happy to. And and the funniest thing is
2: that those companies that are going to the Texas Railroad Commission they brag about being independent. Right. And now they are dependent. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, one of the one of the companies that's kind of made a lot of lot of headlines here in Oz is um, is Pioneer. And, you know, Scott Sheffield and obviously Harold Ham has been out there as well. But uh, Sheffield is is out here talking about, you know, we need the railroad commission to to, to save us basically because the majors are gonna wipe us all out. But you know i I remember a couple of years ago when they were behind on their drilling schedule um you know we we came on the show and like, ah, oh, it seems like it's a lot of you know the stock price fell like with thirty dollars a day, like ah, eh, okay, not a big deal here but then you know it, it's and I didn't remember them at that point calling for uh regulation or you know investors to move but but they, but they really changed their position because just a few months ago they were talking about well if you're if you're investing with a company that's flaring then you should probably not invest with that company more. But I I did not hear, maybe I missed this. I didn't hear Sheffield saying, well, if your company's going to get wiped out by a major, you shouldn't invest with them because that would seem to go against what, what Pioneer is talking about. Um, so it's very interesting that when, when the, the shoes on the other foot, um, and they, you know, that that Pioneer has been very aggressive to even tell investors to leave other competitors, but now that they're in danger, they're going and saying, oh, what was me? Come help me, Railroad Commission. Well, here is the big issue that both sides missed. If you go
2: back to the pro-rationing world of the 1930s and what the Texas Railroad Commission did and what Scott basically is asking them to do because he, he cited the 30s and he said, we want to do exactly what we did in the 30s. Both sides are missing one fact, that they issued the orders but producers did not follow. As a result, Texas governor got angry and he called on Texas National Guard and the uh, uh, Texas um, Rangers to go to the fields and literally move producers out and took over and they shut down the uh, wells by force and they stayed there for over a year. It was a total occupation. It was only done by force and people are missing that point. Now, the Texas Railroad Commission cannot monitor and cannot enforce the orders. Issuing orders is easy. (laughs) But monitoring and enforcing, they don't have the financial capacity. They don't have the human resources capacity. But here is another story about the human resources because this is really fascinating history. If you go back to the 30s, because of the involvement of the state of Oklahoma and Texas by force in the fields, they hired a lot of people on low salaries to go and monitor those producers. What happened? Corruption was rampant. Oil producers basically paid those monitors Mm. money, and they cheated on the numbers. So we have a a very dark history there, and it needs to be brought up. Because it's not an easy thing. It's not nice, like, okay, we are cutting production. Price will go up. We can save jobs. It's not like that. It wasn't well, like you know, that.
0: that. That's exactly what we were talking about. Um, Josh and I's family were, were hanging out yesterday. I was telling a story about a water balloon fight that the kids had. We, we put them out there. We said, here's the ice chest. Here's the water balloons. Here's, the, here's a few rules. Go do it. Well, they didn't really follow. So we, we moved the water balloon. We moved everything a little further away and said, okay, here, here's the rules. Kind of follow it. That didn't work. So I went out there to play with them. And what they ended up doing was they ended up abandoning basically all the rules, and then they circled around the ice chest, and then kept me from getting to the ice chest, and were pounding me with the water balloons, which was never, <laughs> which was never what we thought would happen. But every time we tried to kind of manipulate the market softly, the response was not what we wanted it to be, and so we never. And it, it, these are just simple water balloon fights. You're not talking about billions of dollars at stake, and so there's kind of a notion that the, that the government can can go out there and regulate things. But I am. Um
2: I'm going to, while we are talking, I'm going to print something that is extremely interesting. I want to show you a chart uh, because uh, I think that chart tells the whole story about why all this issue of, and the hearing is a complete nonsense and waste of taxpayer money. So I'm printing this right now, and then I will yeah. show you, uh, yeah. I will show you the chart. The problem with the Texas Railroad Commission right now is it does not know what Texas production is, or the true Texas production is in recent months, to the extent that the EIA, the Energy Information Administration, the federal government, does not trust the Texas Railroad Commission, so they have their own numbers that are different for, uh, and way higher than the Texas Railroad Commission. So if they don't know the production, how are they are going to, em- to enforce a cut? On a producer with not known production. So I'm going to grab that just a second here and show you. All right. I think probably this is the best way I can show you this chart here. You see the mm-hmm. the top one is the 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 mm-hmm. EIA and the lower one is the Texas Rural mm-hmm. Rate Commission. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: For, 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 the for the listeners' perspective, EIA does one's not going believe. up to the right and one's going down to the right.
2: <laughs> Correct. And what happened is the Texas Secretariat Commission, as they get more information later on, they go up to mm-hmm. the EIA mm-hmm. number. So how they are they going to do proration if they don't know the recent production? Are they going to base it on last mm-hmm. year production? It would be a joke well, if and,
0: they do and, that. And, uh, one of the things that I want you to weigh on and maybe help some of our listeners is you—you you obviously follow the OPEC markets pretty closely, and they always have these numbers. Let's not—we'll we'll get to the cuts from this weekend, but historically, OPEC meets, and then but there's a there's a there's the question of how much compliance is OPEC actually getting as well. Um, and my understanding is is that you know it's it's really hard to see. Um, you know, when OPEC announces a cut, who's going to comply, who's not going to comply. And so you have these issues. So if you, if you went outside the U.S. To, to kind of follow how cuts have worked historically, uh, it seems to me that it's not exactly clear that, 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 um, that OPEC is uh, able to keep its members to comply as well. It's exactly the
2: point that the, the issue with OPEC is lack of monitoring and compliance and enforcement. And that's why OPEC is a joke. That's why no one trusts OPEC uh, market management. That's why people trust Saudi Arabia, not OPEC. So is the whole issue here is about uh, enforcement. But let me tell you something about this Texas River Commission meeting tomorrow because this is another fascinating point. The whole legislation that started the whole process in the past, it was about preventing waste. So now uh basically... Uh, is asking them to stop the waste to stop that based on the law they want to stop that waste and therefore prorate the Texas Railroad Commission being giving licenses to hundreds of producers to waste natural gas by flaring it for years yeah and, and and we are talking about massive amount of waste. No one said a word <laughs> about all that waste, and all of a sudden now they want to go and use that law mm-hmm. to apply it and, and apply it for uh, uh, waste. That, that's kind of like a major uh, uh, major contradiction uh, in those uh, ideas. Uh, and of course, one of the uh, issues is they talked about uh, cutting production. They talked about imposing tariff on uh, oil imports from Saudi Arabia and Russia. They wanted to hold imports from those countries, but no one paid attention to the refining sector. They threw the refiners under the bus. Mm. And the irony here is for national security, for economic security, the, the US refining sector is more critical than shale production. We can import oil from anywhere in the world. But the, sh- the refining sector is extremely important and it's been completely ignored in the recent discussion in the last 20 days or so.
0: What would you like to see brought up in, in regards to the refining space that you feel like is being left out? Well,
2: uh, the, the refiners have no interest basically in prior rationing because of prices, of course, that one. But the issue is crude quality too. You have refiners in some areas who use Texas crude and others don't. So you are punishing those who depend on Texas crude. Hmm. And that's not fair.
0: Well, one of the things, right before you got on, we were, we were looking at a, um, an article talking about the, the global storage and how it's kind of at capacity. And I, I've done this idea before. Are we at a point now where we should reevaluate? So if tomorrow, magically, the market decided that we needed three times as much global oil storage than we currently have, the price would shift fundamentally because we go, oh my gosh, we're, we're, you know, we, we need a lot more storage. We don't have enough oil. Um, with the show Revolution, if you look at a lot of the five-year moving charts, you see that normally rather at the top end or the bottom end, depending on what kind of chart you're looking at. Um, it, are we getting closer to a point to maybe we need to sit back and go, you know what? We do need more global oil storage because of the way the market shift. Uh, we, can, we, can, you know, we can produce a lot faster. There's no reason to have, uh, I'm putting this in air quotes, as little of storage as we have. Do you think that we will see this with two, Shell boom bust in the past four years that maybe we reevaluate the storage side of this equation moving forward
2: i I think you are raising an extremely important point uh i personally do not believe in this story uh i believe that we are we are going to hit tank tops only in some regional markets but globally is not going to happen and here are why it's not going to happen first we have a major decline in production. We have shut-ins all over the United States. We have shut-ins in Canada. We have shut-ins in Brazil. We have shut-ins in China. Well, uh, and uh, what was because of the hype of the news about Trump and OPEC in recent days, people did not pay attention that uh, the two major pipelines in Ecuador being shut down. And uh, we lo- uh, that is about 500,000 barrels lost. And then we lost most of the Syrian oil that is under the control of the government. That was not even in the headline news. So we are losing production uh, all over the, the place. It's not only one-sided story. It's a two-sided uh, two-sided story. The other part of it is Ecuador itself says because of the shutdown in the pipelines, they are going to use oil in storage to export. That means storage is going down. In Syria, storage is going down. The Saudis, when they talked about 12.3 million, Some of that is coming from storage in Egypt and Japan and other places. That means storage is going down. So we might see tank tops in some regional markets, but globally, no. It's not going to happen.
0: Okay, let's talk about a couple other things. Um, I want to get to the OPEC meeting, but I want to ask you real quick about China um, I have spoken before on this issue. I feel like the Chinese, um, for a lot of reasons, uh, mainly because they want to maintain their middle class at 400 million and, and grow that number, will try to re-stimulate their economy. Um, they're going to use cheap oil to do so. You've seen Sinopec has sent some kind of mixed messages at one point. They were saying, well, we we don't want any more then they were going to buy some more. Um, but it feels like the Chinese are going to really try to buy this cheap oil, which should be good for American producers. Um, and is it something that maybe we can look back in three or four months and go, okay, listen, China, they, they poured a ton of money into their economy. They use this cheap oil to kind of re-stimulate things, to get cheap gas prices, to get cheap uh, um, refined products. Um, they're kind of the model for how the rest of the world will look at the COVID-19 crisis and come out of it. Um, what is your take on what's China doing and what should we look for China to do over the next three to four months?
2: Well, China has been doing this for a long time. When oil prices drop, basically they start buying, they store oil in strategic petroleum reserves. The part that's been missing from market models is this, that let's say we have a very tight market next year because of all those shut-ins and all those problems, etc. and oil prices go to 80. China is going to use that strategic petroleum reserves to lower prices. They are going to dump it on the market and prevent oil prices from going higher. And then once oil prices go down again, they buy again and restore. This is important because in the U.S., by law, the government cannot do that. They cannot use the SPR to influence prices. So we cannot use it for that reason. But China do not have the same law. So they are using the SPR literally to manipulate the market and manipulate the price. So they are buying big when prices are low. They are going to sell big when prices go up. And therefore to be china so they are going to crash the market if they are successful then prices will go down and stay there if they are successful then they get trapped and they get trapped simply because now prices are higher and they need to refill and they need to refill a higher price so in a sense they are taking risk in that case if we end up with a very tight market
0: okay let's get to the opec plus opec mexico If I had told you a year ago, Mexico would have been the linchpin in an OPEC plus meeting, you would have called me crazy, right?
2: Well, they were not the linchpin. I mean, but uh, I think to revise your statement, they would have been uh, because they were on the forefront of oil nationalization. Mm. They were on the forefront of all the oil issues in the past. So from that perspective, they would have been the linchpin of OPEC if they continued with those with those policies. But I think what happened with Mexico is, and this is my theory, is that it's, it, everything being reported in the media is about hedging. It's not about hedging. They can really cut production and still make money on the hedges. Uh, uh, and it's not about build, rebuilding uh, Pemex. It is about a simple idea. They lost market share by one-third of their exports because of the major decline in all demand worldwide. They export about one point two million. So about four hundred thousand were unsold. So they can either cut it, which is uh, which OPEC asked them to cut, or they have another choice, and the other choice is very interesting, because they can bring it back inside the country. They have a gasoline crisis, and the refineries are working at a very low utilisation levels. So they can bring them back refine gasoline, and sell it in the country. Now they can provide gasoline for the populace, but here is the benefit. There are very high gasoline taxes, and that's the revenue they get, and that's the, gover- the, the revenue they need. Mm. So they are making their money on their hedges anyway, but now they are making extra money from the gasoline taxes. Why give them away? You're so talking my- about 400000 a day, and, and any way you calculate it, it's a lot of money.
0: Hmm. Yeah, India I know has also got that same model, is where they make a huge percentage of their revenue off of gasoline absolutely. tax. Absolutely. Well. absolutely. Okay, all right. We got about five minutes here before you had to hop off. We appreciate your time. Um, what give give the listeners just a, a few highlights. We'll link to your Forbes stuff in the in the, in the show notes. So then go check that out. But let's give a few things that maybe they missed about OPEC Plus meeting. Um, some things to look for, and your final conclusion on was this a good deal? Was it a bad deal? Was it an irrelevant deal? Where do you come in on that? Okay.
2: The first idea here is it's not in the interest of Russia or Saudi Arabia to make a U-turn at this time. The damage has already happened. The pain they are suffering from is huge. There was no sense of a U-turn. But the uh, political pressure, especially from the Trump administration and the senators and the threats were massive. So Trump and the senators played their game, but I think they played their hand and they lost. The Russians and the Saudis played them and literally outfoxed them. Because what they did, they said, okay, you want us to cut? And in this case, you are not going to punish us for anything. No tariffs, no all these armed deal threats, etc." Said, yes, it's okay. What do you want us to do? I said, cut 10 million. All right, we cut 10 million. We announced it to the public. All right. They agreed to it. Trump is a hero. And then the next day, look at the OSP prices of Aramco. They raised them to the United States, discounted them to Europe and uh, Asia. That means the price war is still there. They just raised the prices to the United States because there is no market in the United States anyway. So it doesn't matter. And now if any senator is going to blame them, there is no way they can blame them. Trump cannot blame them anymore because they did what they were asked to do and they did it. So they really outfoxed Trump and the senators. The so, other issue here is by Trump claiming victory on this, he literally nullified an opec in the Senate. an opec is the law that's been proposed proposed to impose antitrust laws on Saudi Arabia and other OPEC members in U.S. courts. Now they cannot do it anymore because the U.S. is part to the agreement so they cannot you cannot sue you yourself <laughs> so the gain the political illegal gains to Saudi Arabia and Russia are massive the U.S. got nothing Trump and the senators got stuck right now with low prices they got stuck with all shale producers being angry and no solutions for them they got stuck with the shale producers because they did not get bail out and all these issues so we got stuck with low prices and there will be no change in this case
0: Okay, final question. $50 oil before the end of the year, how likely is that? WTI. Said, say that $50 again? $50 WTI by the end of 2020. How that, likely?
2: That, is very, that is a big possibility for a simple reason. The amount of shut-ins is huge. Hmm. But aside from the shut-in, we can bring back those wells. This is not a big deal. We can bring them back. The problem is, as you all know, the shale wells come with a very high decline rate. In the last few years, we compensated for that by increasing investment and drilling more wells. Mm -hmm. Now, investment is declining, and we are drilling less wells. So that decline is going to be to lead to a major decline in U.S. production, and that's not we cannot recover that. So the 50 by the end of the year is highly possible.
0: But we got to get the we got to get the economy going back first before we can see that though.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. well, by the way, all those assumptions that Corona is over in two three months. I mean, yeah. that that's the basic assumption of most yeah. of those models. Yeah.
0: Exactly. No, no, no. I agree. Okay. Um. We, okay. So we will link to your new Forbes piece. Congratulations on that as well. Um, Twitter. It's great to have you on. You were always generous with your time. We know you've been busy this morning, and so thank, thank you, you for taking a few a few minutes for our listeners. Uh, Anas, and we will have thanks you lot. on again hopefully soon.
2: Thank you very much. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks, sir.
1: Well, big thanks to Dr. Anas for coming on the show today. That's interesting stuff there, Ryan. That's some interesting stuff that he said.
0: Let me just put this in terms as I would say to uh, as I, uh, the, old, the old Ryan terms. If I understand him correctly, he's saying that the Saudis and the Russians just de Trump. Trump. That's what he, <laughs> That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. He's saying he de him. Yeah. So I mean I, I don't know. He he's the doctor, he's the expert. We'll we'll find out soon enough. But that was that was my if I was writing a commentary on that, that, that what he's saying, I'd say he's saying that he, they devote him. And not only devote him, like took their bike, took their house, like because if you think about the implications of what he's saying there, and that's that, that was kind of funny. He made the point we started off with is well, now because of this, they raised the price to what they're selling the US for. Oh well. How can you complain about that? Because you disagreed to this. Oh well, you can't sue them now because of this, and you, you, all these things. Like them rules,
1: the, water, water balloons. balloons.
0: Yeah, I think what we intended. Did. <laughs> we didn't think about all that. Now, hold on. So, uh, so it'd be interesting to see if he's if he's right. Obviously, uh, he's a very well respected energy analyst, and we really do appreciate him coming on. Uh, always, always has great insights. Have mm. no reason to disagree. with him. I thought his point about the storage in China was interesting. I would love to know, I need to look this up, how much China holds in their, in their strategic... Their yeah, it has to be a lot. Yeah, to influence the market, like he's saying. Uh, but listen, again, dude, dude's, dude's a guru, not me. So um, thank you so much. And if, uh, one, one thing I did want to say here is, uh, I've seen it when, when like Anas comes on, um, on on our show, on some folks on Twitter talking about it. But if you have a guest on, feel free to reach out to him and tell him you appreciate him coming on. It means a lot. And uh, we get feedback from some of our guests saying, hey... I uh, got some good feedback from your listeners. So always always feel free to reach out and you know, tell me appreciate them coming on because uh, it goes a long way with the guests. Anas has been doing TV spots all morning and took out some time for us. So we really mm. appreciate him coming on and uh, and chatting with us.
1: All right, Ryan. Well, we got a few articles I wanted to hit for the roundup real quick. Uh, not a whole lot here. Just a, a few articles I wanted to, to jump into. The first one is uh, Mexico's secret weapon in the oil price war. So they spend an exorbitant amount of money every year um, to, um, to get uh, hedges set. I think they spend like a billion dollars a year to um, get hedges in place to protect them from what's going on this year between the Saudis and Russia and, and COVID-19. And so let me look at some numbers here. There were some interesting things that it has. And so in the last 20 years it made 5.1 billion when prices crashed in 9 6.4 billion in 2015 and 2.7 billion in 2016. So they and sometimes in you know, some of these years they're losing a billion because they're, they're getting these hedges, but during these downturns they're, they're raking it in.
0: Well, yeah, they're they're such a poorly ran. PMEX is so poorly ran. The only way it can make money, it seems like, is off of the yeah. hedges. If well, they catch them. In. I'd it's be so interested funny.
1: to see that on like a twenty year trajectory or twenty year chart to see how they're how well they're doing. Uh, it says they're spending a billion annually buying the options uh, to get those hedges. And in those years, like where we're suffering. They seem to be doing well. It also gives them less incentive and less incentive to go along with this OPEC deal because they're actually making money right now. They're actually doing doing well, according to according to this article in the hedges that they have. So um, I'll link to it in the show notes. Be Interesting to, to keep an eye on them to see exactly how um, how this is going to play out for them report uh drilling downturn will impact water midstream companies not a lot here is his market report uh, there's a link to that in the show notes um you can take a look at it some water companies have been doing well historically so uh i i think they're they're going to feel some squeeze here Plains All American cuts a third of its budget as pipeline operators feel market pressure. So uh, this is this is not good news, uh, but it's to be expected. It's kind of working its way down into the midstream sector. So uh, yeah, so we're we're seeing that. Yeah. Sergio has another article. Power failure temporarily knocks out Valero's Three Rivers refinery. Uh, so I I didn't know about the. Um, the three river refinery getting shut down. Um, And I didn't know about the power failure either. So I I do know there was some tornado weather over in Louisiana um, this week, but um, apparently it was some bad weather in Eagleford, uh, Eagleford area as well.
0: Yeah. It looks like just to follow up on that, no injuries were reported. Um, So.
1: All right. Just a couple more. Semper energy receives all required. Oh,
0: hold on. Sorry. I got one more thing on that. This is, this is Sergio Chapa. Brilliant reporting here. No injuries were reported, but the incident caused an undetermined amount of flaring. <laughs> I'm not sure how those two things are linked.
1: <laughs> got the jab in, though. Got the jab in. He
0: just, he just, he just got a little jab in there. Like, hey, no incidents. But an undetermined amount. It could be no amount of flaring, or it could be the most flaring ever known to man. Gun.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's funny. That's, well, well played, Sergio. Well played. I gotta give you that. But that was you just. I, I, I was looking for the injuries. You know, when you hear about something going down to the refinery, thing, was well, hurt, and would die. You know, and, and so I was like, no injury report. Okay, but the incident's caused and I didn't even, I didn't even look at. It. I scrolled back down. I came back and looked to it. An undetermined amount of flaring. Wait, Wait what? <laughs> No injuries were reported, but there was no increase in rigs in the Barnett Shale. I was
1: expecting something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, separate Energy receives all required governmental authorizations for a 3.59 billion divestiture. divestiture? Oh, here we, go, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. This is gonna be a good one. Hey, I looked up uh, gyros, so I didn't mess that who? up earlier. The divestiture
0: uh, of who? Who? Yeah, yeah, but who? Who's the company? Energy?
1: No 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 oh, no no. The no, one no. at the yes, end. See, I'm not. I'm not getting into all that.
0: <laughs> Come oh, on, you got to read it. People it's won't know.
1: It's they Del Sur in Peru. <laughs> <laughs> <You do. laughs> all right, uh, All right, Christy Craddock requests a delay in production tax collections. I might could get on board with that. Delay it for you know 150 years. Um, that'd be nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Two three hundred yeah. year delay. Sounds
1: good. Uh, let's see. Another article here: rig counts plunge again. Actually, this is not a this is not a bad it's not bad news. I mean, we don't want prices going down and rig count going up. So, um, we uh, the other day the the price was going down.
0: Right. So yeah, right. So you, you got to be, so the rig counts bad for folks in the industry working, but it's good yeah. for the price. Right. So it's it's it's, it's yeah. one of those bittersweet deals. We we don't like to see it because of the implications it means for us and our listeners. But we, it's a necessary thing to get our us and our listeners. back. Yeah,
1: what I'm back saying is this: this has to happen in order for us to get back to work. So yeah. when the price goes down and the rig count goes up by two, you know, you kind of like, oh lord. Uh, so we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. Moving yeah. in the right we're direction. Rig no, no more one rig booms.
0: No more one. Yeah, we can't have. have All right. So use.
1: Oxy seeks federal lifeline for oil industry. So they are looking for government financial aid during this time. Uh, so I guess they would be along with um, some of the others that want some government inter- intervention. Um,
0: you know, one of the things we were talking about yesterday actually was, if you look at Oxy stock price, since uh, Icon, you know, got his board seats or, you know, the, the coup was put down, but the board seats were gained is that, you know, they're actually, you know, they had gotten down to, let's see here, Oxy had gotten down to you know, $9 it looks like, maybe a little lower. I'm trying to see here. Yeah, I think nine dollars, and and now as of this morning, it's trading up at fifteen thirty three. So it feels like they may have ride the ship some for now, at least. Still not where it needs to be. I mean, um, at one time the fair wrote the fair value price of this stock was probably thirty five to forty dollars a share. So you're talking, you know, still a, subs- a substantial discount. But um, but they are, you know, I wonder if they've kind of leveled out leveled out the planes a little bit for now.
1: All right, last uh, bad news article of the day. Marathon oil suspends permian drilling with deeper capex cuts. They are moving to the Bakken and Eagleford. So a lot of our listeners are Permian based. So not not, not good news if uh they're a client. Yep. And with that.
0: Well, way in on that note. Good grief speaker
1: sent us that one. <laughs> <honey>. <laughs> Hey! Whoa, whoa, whoa! You got a new uh, chair, with uh, this, uh, this is. This is. Let, let me. look up my chair. Was like this?
0: Is the same chair I've had for a long time. Oh, okay. I just, I just got the gut turn and that that uh it. that blue just Okay. All right. Well, listeners, hope everyone had a great Easter holiday. And again, uh, Stephanie and Speaker, hope you guys get a quick and speedy recovery. I guess. I mean, yeah. I guess that's that's it for now, Josh. I don't know. We don't have a lot to say. We did get some hard hitting analysis. So. Our three-star review should be a five-star right now. I think that that's that's warranted, right? <laughs> like, I mean, the people asked, we delivered.
1: Yeah, right?
0: we we went over all kinds of stuff. We got a nas on. Went over all kinds of stuff. Had a nas on. So there you go. Here's your uh, there's your there's your deep dive. And so, uh, anyways, I'm sure next week we will have on some coverage of, <laughs> about the railroad commission meeting the Good board. And until then, deep dive.